Yesterday, I was sitting on my back porch doing my reading. And, you know, I've never been diagnosed ADD, but boy, I tell you, all my life looks that way. And so really, the back porch is not a great place. I should be in a white room with padded so I can really get some good quality time in. But sitting on the back porch, and being the way I am, a few moments later, I'm like looking over here, and there's a, a bee circling through there. And it's not the first bee I've ever seen in my life. It's just the bee at the moment. You know what I mean? And so he's circling through all the flowers and everything like that. And I'm watching him. And I'm like going, that bee has no idea that he's a part of something a lot bigger than what he's doing right now. He has no concept of what he's doing. Right now, that bee is having brunch. It was that time of day. Followed by lunch, followed by afternoon snack, followed by dinner, followed by going back and doing whatever it is you do in a hive. That's what that bee was doing. But he had no idea that he was a part of much bigger worldwide ecosystem where when he was doing all that flitting around, he was actually pollinating other plants. And that pollination for some of those plants meant that that plant would be able to produce fruit. And that fruit would then come off the tree and it'd be in my produce store and I would buy it for an exorbitant price and take it home and part of it would rot before I'd eat it. That's part of the system, you know? It's the circle of fruit life, right? But part of that fruit would fall off of that tree and it would go to the ground and the insects would eat it or the animals would come and eat it and then it would all start over again. That little bee had no context that it was a part of this giant ecosystem. That bee was just doing its thing. That's all it knew about. Today, our story, our text is like that as well. Open up your Bibles to Genesis 20. That bee had no idea that he was a part. He was just living out his story. That was the story in his life. He had no idea that he was fitting into a much bigger story, a much bigger scheme of things. He didn't know all that was happening. He was the micro, the tiny, in the macro, the bigger. And so in our text today, Genesis chapter 20, this text is like that bee. When you read this, ver- this passage, you're reading it and you're like going, okay, Genesis, Genesis 18, uh, God just visited Abraham and Sarah and he promised a son. And not only that, he, he told them that he's about to have to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. And, and all of a sudden, Abraham becomes the master negotiator, a pretty bold guy to negotiate with God and actually kind of like come out the winner, you know. And then chapter 19, we read the story of Lot and his family and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the saving of the family, or at least a part of the family. We read about Lot's, you know, humiliating sin. And the next thing you read about is Abraham and his sin, his own failure. Now, you're thinking, the last thing we read about Lot, about Abraham, was that he had just had a pretty intense experience with God. He had just shared a meal with him, and God had just confirmed that he was going to have a son about a year from now, he says. You know, you know 
the people coming home from camp, they understand this. As a matter of fact, most, many of us understand this. And that's that those moments, like having a dinner, a dinner with God, going to summer camp, those moments linger only for a moment. Unless we really pay attention to them and become the exception and allow that moment to really influence the scope of our lives. And apparently, dinner with God did not influence Abraham's life for that long. God says, this time next year, have a son. So here we are in chapter 20. There's no son yet. So this means we're still in the context of about 9 to 12 months, somewhere in that time frame. And here's Abraham. Chapter 20 is a story. It's almost like chapter 12, a redo of it. It's kind of like chapter 12, part 2. If you remember in chapter 12, there's a famine in the land. And so Abraham and Sarai, they go down to Egypt because that's where there's food. And they go there and they arrive. And, and the Pharaoh takes a look at, at Sarah and he goes, she's hot. I want her. She's in my harem. And Abraham says, oh, she's my sister. Go ahead. You remember that? And so what happens is Pharaoh finds out that's not his sister, that's his wife. And he says, you've almost caused me to sin, leave. And that happens. Here we are now, years and years later. And this sin, this area of Abraham's life is still there. After repeated encounters with God, this part of his life is still there. Because now chapter 21 opens up and just says, Abraham journeyed. From where he was down to the Negev, he journeys south into this area called Gerar. And they show up in this area, and this area has their king. Abimelech is not a name, verse 2. Abimelech is not the name. It is the title of the king of Gerar. It means like royal father. And so here we are. They show up in this region, and here's another king who sees this woman and says, I want her for my harem. And again, Abram doesn't say, this is my wife. He goes, it's my sister, take her. And he walks away, I guess. Now, two comments, and I made this comment a week or so ago. It's like, she's got to be in her late 90s. And so, I mean, if she was hot earlier, she must, I mean, like, I don't know what it is, but this woman must have looked like something to still have kings be wanting to take them into her harem at 90 years old. Sarah must have been something special. And if you didn't ask that question, you're not normal, all right? (laughs) And so he takes her, but Abraham doesn't go after her. He goes, it's my sister. Yeah, she's yours. And so do you remember what God said? I mean, the big moment of chapter 18 and what God said to Abraham and Sarah, the big moment was, Is there anything too difficult for God? And so here we are. A king says, I want that woman. And he didn't say, this is my wife. I'm going to depend on God to defend us and keep her in my home. He goes, you're right. She's yours. Take her. And all of a sudden, again, Abraham's in this place where he's like going, there is something too difficult for God to protect me from this king who might kill me to take my wife. Apparently, God can't do that because I'm going to let her have him. He didn't believe God could step in and protect him from a king who would might take his life to have his, his wife. 
He didn't believe that. So he gives her up. Abimelech, the king, takes her into his harem. And that night, he has a dream. And that night, that dream was, there's no doubt about the nature of what was happening here. Because if you look down in verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night, and he said to him, Behold, you're a dead man. Do you think that God was trying to get Abimelech's attention? He basically says, that woman you just took into your harem, it's going to cost you your life. Now, give her back, and I just might let you live. So the next morning, he wakes up. He goes to his advisors and says, you won't believe what happened tonight. Let me just tell you what happened. We're all under the, the, the threat of doom here because of this woman and because of this man. They call in Abraham. They said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you understand you just put our lives at risk because you lied to us? We dealt with you honestly. We dealt with you with integrity and authenticity. You said, it's my sister, so I took her. You didn't say I couldn't. And look what you almost did to us. Look what you almost did to us. And Abraham goes, geez, you know, um, we've been doing this for years. We've been doing this since chapter 12 of this particular book, if you haven't noticed. We agreed about this when we left our our home place in Mesopotamia and Haran. We we agreed that this is how we're going to handle this. Do you think that made a difference to Abimelech? That you agreed to sin? That you agreed to lie? Is that going to make a difference to him? And so he goes, take the woman and go away. And the scripture says that if you look at the very end of the passage, the scripture says the Lord had closed fast the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And so when he released her and gave her back to Abraham, the women were able to conceive again. That's how the story ends. The next thing you read, Sarah has Isaac. Now then, as a student of the word, let me just ask you something. You're reading through the context of Genesis, right? And Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. You know that, right? And it is the foundation book of the entire Bible. Everything you're going to read from, ex- from Genesis on relates somehow or another back to Genesis. Everything. And so understanding Genesis is important. And so what's happening here is this. God creates man and he puts his spirit in a man, which means that man is different from all other creation. You know what? It's very common in our day of time to look at a dog and go, oh, look, he's acting like my son. I mean, he probably is. He's probably like peeing in the corner or something like that, right? But I mean, you know, but we take our animals and we give them human tendencies. We ascribe emotion to them. We make them human. But let me tell you something. As cute as your dog may be, and as much as you love your dog, your dog's a dog. But people are people because they have the Spirit of God in them. They have the image of God built into them, rather. The image of God is built into them. Unique among all creation. Nothing else in creation has God's image built into it. So God creates. He makes man. He puts his image into man. Man sins. 
God deals with that. Puts them out of the garden. The story goes on, and so you have the first man, and then you have God punishing the world through the flood, and he takes one more man, Noah, and he sets that man up, and he goes, through you is going to come this descendant that I promised in Adam in Genesis 3.15. So Noah's family goes on, and then finally God, here in Genesis 12, he goes, you, Abraham, you will be the one that I am going to bless the entire world through, because your descendant, ultimately, hundreds of years later, would be Jesus. And Jesus will bless all mankind through his death and resurrection. G- Genesis sets the stage for that. So he, he has one man, Adam, then he has Noah, and then he has Abraham, and Abraham's family, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And in this, he goes from one man to selecting a nation, and in that nation, making that nation his desired nation that he will bless all of mankind from. That's what's happening in Genesis. That's the foundations to be set. That's the table that we're getting in front of us. That's the macro. And so as you're reading Genesis and you're going, okay, so Genesis is unfolding for me everything I need to know to understand the Bible as a whole. You've got to wonder, why is Genesis 20 here in this story? What is it about him lying about his wife one more time that's important for you to understand the scope of all Scripture? You see, Genesis 20 is the B in the bigger ecosystem. Genesis 20 is just this thing that's happening, flitting among the flowers, while, meanwhile, there is so much more happening beyond it, but Genesis 20 is important to the whole system, to the whole story. It's only a small story built inside the bigger story. And in my mind, I can't tell you how it's always intertwined, and I can't tell you the extent of how it's intertwined, but be through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know it is. And so let me just tell you why I think that Genesis 20 is involved here and why it's tucked into this passage. And not only that, but it connects to Genesis 21, verses 22 through the end of the passage. So the big story is this. God has creation And that creation has rebelled and and been broken. And and, and even like I read out of of Romans 8, it is yearning to be fully redeemed someday. And so the beginning of the story is that it's perfect. And man breaks it. He wounds it. And then it goes on. But with God coming into man's story along the way and ultimately providing a redeemer in Jesus. And in that redeemer Jesus, he says, I'm coming back for you, and I'm going to take you to a place where no harm, no hurt, no tears, no suffering will ever happen again. And we're going to spend eternity that way to all those who believe in me. But at the same time, I just need to let you know that all those who decide not to believe in me and decide to try and do their sin problem alone, those people are destined for a different place. That different place is a place of punishment. That different place is a place of suffering called hell. That's what's happening here. That's the scope. Of all of mankind. That's the scope of time as we even can contemplate it. 
And we have Genesis 20. How? Why is it there? Genesis 20, I think, is there is because of this. God promised, Genesis chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, there will be your offspring who will one day crush the head of the serpent. That offspring will be victorious. He further on says in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15 even, he says that offspring will bless all of creation. He will bless all the world. And I'm going to do that through you, Abraham. Your wife is going to have a baby. He just said that in Genesis 18. Your wife's going to have a baby. And that baby will be the father of many and ultimately be the father of Jesus, the Redeemer. What happens if that woman, Sarah, the mother of the Redeemer, is taken away from Abraham? And becomes the wife of a pagan king. What just happened to that plan of salvation? What just happened to that plan of redemption? What just happened to the promise from Genesis 3.15 to Genesis 12 to Genesis 15 to Genesis 18? What just happened when God says that seed will be born from that woman, Sarah, who's in that tent snickering about it right now? Genesis 20, Genesis 20 is here because it says, I am going to make my promises at all costs. So Abraham, you can step into this and you can mess this up, but I'm still going to step into it again and I'm going to say, no, 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 not her. Do you see what was about to happen in Genesis 20? She was about to become the wife of a pagan king. That would negate the promise of a redeemer through her. That would make God a liar Because he said in 18, you, the wife of Abraham, is about to give birth within a year to a child that will grow, have many descendants who will become the Redeemer. Abraham, you just gave away the mother of the Redeemer to another man. And God steps in and says, my plan won't be thwarted. My plan won't be stopped. Genesis 20 is in here, not just as simple as the little bee floating through the flowers. Genesis 20 is in here to demonstrate that this entire ecosystem is underneath God's sovereign control. And while Genesis 20 just looks like another failure on Abraham's part of his faith, it's really speaking about that God is not going to let anything get in the way of bringing that Redeemer into the world and ultimately making it possible for me and you to have our sins forgiven by Jesus. So Genesis 20 is here, and it's about the seed. God protecting the seed of the woman so that that seed would one day bring a Savior. Genesis 21, 22 is a similar story, and I'm just going to tell you too quickly. Here again, Abraham is dealing in the same part of the country with a king from Gerar. So you'll see in 22, verse 21, 22, it says, Now it came about at that time that Abimelech, so the king of Gerar, is here. And what's happened is there's a controversy over the land. There are wells that Abraham's people have dug, and Abimelech's people keep coming and contesting them and going, No, 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 this is ours. So you see, in in chapter 20, God was defending the promise of, of the seed. Think back this real quick. Test. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. God says that I'm going to give you 
a son and land, a place to live. He says that son will produce the redeemer. This land is an eternal possession. Chapter 20, God is defending the seed. No, 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 no. You can't have that woman. And if you have her, I'm, it's going to cost you your life because that woman has her, my hand upon her. Chapter 21, verse 22, he's now defending the eternal possession of the land. And he's like going, and this time Abraham handles it wisely and faithfully in, God, in, 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 a, in a godlike manner. And now here, Abraham de- develops a covenant with Abimelech that says, this land is my land. It always will be. God gave it to me, and it will be, and it will be God's land, a, pro- a promised possession for all eternity. Both of these stories seem like they don't fit in. Given that Isaac was just born, that should be a big deal. You think there should be chapters and chapters about the birth of Isaac. I mean, there's been chapters and chapters about these, these barren O people about to have babies. And it happens, and we get about 21 verses about it. That's all. And tucked between those, and tucked in, in, in those 21 verses are tucked between a dispute over the woman and a dispute over the land. And here's God saying, I made a promise, and I'll keep it. And you won't interfere with it through a pagan king. And I made a promise about the land, and I'm keeping that promise as well. And it won't get lost to a pagan king either. God's promises... And and this is the encouragement to us. I hope it is. It is to me. That on any given day, as I do my best, and sometimes as I'm not doing my best, as I'm doing my worst, that God is sovereign. And he is going to work out his good and perfect plan in my life. And this church is his church. And while I am the pastor, he will do his good and sovereign plan with this church despite me. He'll work it out. And he's going to do that in your life as well. You know, you think about it. Sometimes we get put in places and God pulls us out of them quickly. And other times we get put in places and we're left there a long time. When we've been left there a long time, when you're not sure why this, these things just keep happening over and over and over, or you have just this one thing and it just will not end, be assured that God is working out his perfect plan in your life, even as you choose to do things your own way. His perfect plan will not be stopped. Philippians 1 says that God will finish what he began in you. And that passage does not say if you obey all the time and if you do right all the time and if you're a really good kid and if you're a really good Christian. It doesn't say that. It says, I will finish it. 
And the, the part that's left blank means I'm going to finish it even when you're screwing up all the time. I'm going to finish it. There is a great deal of encouragement to be taken from the Word of God and to be taken from what we see in the Word of God that demonstrates that no matter where we are in our walk, no matter where we go in our walk, off of what we know we're supposed to be doing or if we've taken a bad turn or a different fork, God is still at work and he will use wherever you are to shape you and to form you into his perfect image and to call you back to himself and to say, great, I hope we've learned from that. Let's move forward. None of us know. All of us feel like we're the bee. None of us know how we fit into the big, big picture. But we can be assured that God knows, and he's in control of that, and he's working out every single one of those little details, even when we don't know about it, even when we don't understand it. There should be great, great encouragement to know that. There's also a great, great need to be remembered, reminded of that daily, hourly, isn't it? But that's true. That's the way God is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that your word um, holds such great, great promises and such great opportunities for us to learn and to grow from you and to, to learn and to understand you. And I'm grateful that you demonstrated in the life of your saints in the Bible and through your character that you do not abandon your own. But no matter what circumstance we're in, no matter where we are in our walk, you are about finishing what you've started in our lives and bring us into that place where we look, taste, smell, and feel more like you on a daily basis. We are so grateful for your long-standing, unswerving, never-ending commitment to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.